Welcome to the RUF Berkeley podcast. RUF is a campus fellowship centered around experiencing and expressing the love of God to our campus, our classmates, and our community. For more information, check out our website at rufberkeley.com or find us on Instagram at rufberkeley. So our scripture reading for the night is uh, Psalm 127, verses uh, 1 and 2. So it goes, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sheep. We are as I say every week, live from the living room. I don't say that every week, but we are live from the living room uh, in the Psalms of Ascent. And this psalm in particular is actually right in the middle of the Psalms of Ascent. And uh, as the Bible does in so many places throughout uh, its pages, uh, it gives us metaphors and images uh, of what the Christian life is like, particularly in the Psalms because the Psalms are poetry and they have a way of staining our hearts and sinking in indelibly so that we begin to see the world in new ways and we speak about the world with new words and we even hear new sounds um, uh, about the purpose of the world and God's mission in the world and our role in that. Um, and this journey, right, uh, that's that's the Christian life, this on-the-roadness of being a Christian, uh, one of the things I love about these Psalms is that they kind of highlight different aspects really every aspect of what normal life kind of looks like. So from the dangers and insecurities that we face to the heights uh, and the joys that we experience in life. And even uh, in Psalm 126 and 127, like the work that we do um, as we uh, follow Jesus in this life, if you're a Christian, um, or even if you're not a Christian, there's work to be done. And the unique thing about the Christian Worldview is that it uh, frames work in a unique way. It's neither something that uh, is fundamentally our identity, but it's still really tethered to our identity. Um, but it's also something that's good and meaningful and a part of God's purpose in the world. And so we're kind of back on um, the topic of work a little bit this week. Um, when I was playing high school football... Uh, for those of you who did not know, I was a high school quarterback, kind of a big deal, kind of a big deal. And uh, there was one game that we were playing that um, we were just like getting trounced. We were getting demolished by this team and I was getting pretty frustrated. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to take this game over. Like, I'm going to take this in my own hands because, after all, I was the quarterback. And I thought, you know, if I just kind of start making plays, we'll get back in this game. So, uh, as one does, I took the snap from under center. And um, I don't remember. I was probably a pass play or something, but no one was open. And so I took off to scramble. I wasn't going to pass it. wasn't going to give it to anybody else. And I, like, broke free. And I was, we were probably on the opposing, I don't know, 30-yard line or so. And I broke free kind of right up the middle and and was like clean sailing. I mean, just full-out sprint, and it was awesome. Like, fans were cheering. I feel like cheerleaders' jaws were dropping because they're like, oh, my gosh, like this quarterback. You know, it was like every high school quarterback, cheesy, immature boy's dream 
to be kind of on this breakaway run. And I could see the end zone. I was just a few yards from the end zone and nobody was around me. And as I'm going and basking in all these cheers out of nowhere, this massive man spears me from behind and he tackles me. But I fumble and they recover and they pick it up and they actually run it 70 yards back the opposite direction and they score. Um, So that's what happens when I took matters into my own hands. Uh, A big man speared me. And I fumbled. And everything that I really wanted to accomplish kind of was undone. And really, I think there's kind of a metaphor there for life is when we take matters into our own hands, big men spear us. And I think that Psalm 127 um, exists because inevitably throughout life, uh, in different seasons of our lives, we will be tempted to live as though God does not exist. Even if we are Christians, functionally, we will operate as though God does not exist. And our world becomes self-saturated. It's about me. Our view of life becomes self-saturated. It's all up to me. Everything that I have done or will do, it's all me. It's all mine. It's all up to me and it all will be mine. Psalm 127, however, takes us from this self-saturated view of life where we kind of have to take over the game for ourselves and it moves us toward a God-saturated view of life. Psalm 127 takes us from a self-saturated view of life to a God-saturated view of life. And so tonight, I want us to unpack this God-saturated view of life that we get in Psalm 127 that it gives us. And the first thing that Psalm 127 gives us is this. We need to acknowledge that God works. We need to acknowledge that God is at work. Um. Now, the, the first thing to observe seems pretty obvious, right? It's that the Lord, if you look at verses 1, uh, the Lord builds the house. The Lord watches over the city. Uh, the Lord gives to his beloved sleep. So whenever a house is being built, the Lord is building it. It's the logic of the psalmist here. Whenever a city is being watched over, the Lord is watching over it. Whenever you get sleep, the Lord gives you sleep. God works. What the psalmist is painting for us here, as I mentioned in the beginning, is this is this God-saturated view of life where every aspect of his life, he can see God's hand at work from the most mundane tasks to the most important task from our homes to our cities and even to our sleep. The psalmist sees God at work behind everything and he sees God as the source of everything. And so I want us to think about this a little bit, especially after what we went over last week, looking at Genesis, like everything that we're seeing here in this passage so far can be summed up as uh, kind of creating and preserving or building and watching is, is the language of the psalm, but can be summed up as creating and preserving Uh, And we were made to do both. As human beings, as image bearers of God, we were made to do both, be creators and hold dominion over the world and subdue the earth and preserve the earth and people and relationships. So to build houses is to create. To watch over cities is to preserve the city, to to, uh, seek its security and its protection. Um, This is 
creation mandate language that we saw in Genesis last week. But what the psalmist is saying is that any time that we build houses or we watch over cities in all of our creating and in our preserving, God is in it. Even in our sleep, God is in it. There's nothing that you truly do that is alone, according to the Bible. So that's the first thing that God's working. The second thing that I want you to observe, uh, it, and I kind of mentioned this a second ago, is, but it's that we too are building in this passage. And uh, this, in this particular passage is pointing out ways that we build that are, are not actually good, but we are still building. And more specifically, what this psalm is pointing out is that it's saying that if we are building without acknowledging that God is building as well, or that God is at work, that we are building in vain. Anytime we create, anytime we preserve without acknowledging God's creation and God's preserving, we are doing so in vain. That's actually the point of verse two. It's explaining what it looks like to work in vain. When you go about your day, right, fulfilling all of uh, the chores that you have on your daily list, all the day's demands, and you get up early and you stay up late and you do so without acknowledging that God is at work, uh, when you have a self-saturated view of life and not a God-saturated view of life, your life looks like what, what the psalmist says in verse two. It looks like and it feels like eating the bread of anxious toil. Eating the bread of anxious toil. It reminds me, of a movie, Goodwill Hunting. Have you guys seen Goodwill Hunting? Anybody? It's an old movie, but it is a classic. It's a legendary movie. You should definitely watch it. Uh, Matt Damon plays this guy named Will Hunting, and Will grew up in these unfortunate circumstances, but he also happens to be a genius. And rather than using his gifts to uh, make a better life for himself, he's kind of plagued by the trauma of his upbringing. And so um, rather than kind of seeking help, he turns inwards and he takes matters in his own hands. And he does it he does it his way and only his way because nobody else in his life can be trusted or so he thinks. And he feeds off this anxiety and he feeds off this insecurity for so long that he doesn't even really know how to love anymore. We see his relationships begin to fracture. He can't relate to anyone anymore or befriend anybody anymore. And because he never realizes that others are actually working for his good as well. Just because he experienced the traumatic or the trauma that he did experience in his upbringing, it doesn't mean that there aren't people that are still for him as he grows up and gets older. And now I don't think that I even actually have to ask this question, but I will. I mean, how often do you see these kind of lives at Berkeley? And if we're being really honest here, how often is, is this your life at Berkeley? A life that is fueled by eating the bread of anxious toil. I would say that there's not a single person on this call that doesn't do that. And I totally include myself in that mix. We are driven by our anxieties. It drives our days, it drives our loves, it drives our decisions. What if I don't make the grade that I need? What if I don't get the best job right out of college? What if I take the wrong job right out of college? What if I disappoint my parents and their expectations on my life and my career? Or even if, maybe if you want to get inside my head, what happens if RUF tanks 
during COVID? What if no one shows up? What if people don't like what I have to say? Or what if I'm not clever enough or smarter enough or, or insightful enough? The list can go on and on and on and on. We are full of anxieties that kind of fuel our activity in the world. And according to the psalmist, the reason why is because that we refuse to acknowledge that God is actually at work for us. And so we labor in vain and we eat in anxiety like a piece of burnt toast, like food, when it's actually poison. Now, this passage is not comparing two attitudes toward work like effort and effortless, like as if the solution is to stop working so that God can do it all. This passage is actually comparing two attitudes toward God, right? It's an attitude of independence towards God, and it's an attitude of dependence towards God. And anything done under the false pretense of independence is ultimately in vain because we refuse to acknowledge that everything we have is a gift from God in the first place. It's not ours. We are stewarding good gifts that God has already worked into his world and into our lives. Okay, so we need to acknowledge that God's at work. That's the first thing that Psalm 127 gives us is that we need to acknowledge that God's at work. We're not alone in this as we move throughout it. We're not building houses by ourselves. And if we are, it's in vain. Like it's a house of cards. Um. But to know what it would look like to work with an attitude of dependence on God, right? To know what that would actually look like, to acknowledge that God is already at work, we need to look at the second thing that Psalm 127 gives us, and that is that we need to embrace being loved. We need to embrace being loved. The way we're to go about our building, the way we're to go about our working and our preserving is not with anxious toil. That's the logic of the psalmist here. We may be getting up early, as many of you are now, as I am, even with kids. Even on a day off, I'm still getting up early. We may be staying up late, but we won't be driven out of a sense of burdened, pressured, anxiety-inducing toil. Because our disposition about how we build and how we preserve, how we create and protect, will be governed by this little phrase, at the end of verse two. So let's read verse two. I'm going to read it in its whole, but we're going to focus on the very end. Uh, it is in vain that you rise up early and go to late, uh, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. He gives to his beloved sleep. Now this word beloved. Um, it's really an amazing word. Um, it's just shocking when you think about what's all represented here in this passage. We have a God, right, who's personified as this mighty creative builder, the architect of every conceivable structure in existence. And then we have a God as a great watcher, right, wh- whose eyes not only see our goings out and our comings in, but they even see what's unseeable, right? He, he sees our hearts. He sees our thoughts. He sees our feelings. And then at the very bottom, at the end of verse two, we see in addition to God being this creative, mighty builder and this great watcher, we see that God is a lover. He is a lover. That's a very powerful word. In the Hebrew, 
uh, this word is actually used both for very dear friends and also for lovers, for like a romantic relationship. And the point is really simple and yet profound. And, and it's simply this, it's that God loves you. He loves you. He is a builder who loves you. He's a builder of lives that loves you. And he is a watcher who loves you. He watches over your life because he loves you. And here's the kicker. God in his love for you means for you to find rest. God in his love for you means for you to find rest and not be driven by anxious toil. We need to embrace being loved by God. Because in God's love, we find our truest rest. Yes, we work. Yes, we preserve. Yes, at times we are getting up early and staying up late. But when you embrace the love of God, when you acknowledge the love of God and claim it as your own, when you embrace being loved by him, then you will acknowledge that God is at work for you. He is building for you. He is preserving for you, even as you follow his call on your life to be a worker, to be a creator, to be a protector, to be a preserver of all things good and beautiful. Embracing God's love opens us up to acknowledge the fact that if someone loves us, he's actually working for us. And you know, it's it's funny what love uh, can do, what it actually make us do. And it's even terrifying. Um, uh, it's terrifying what we do when we live as though we aren't loved. It's terrifying what we're capable of when we believe that we aren't loved. I want you to think for a moment about the ways that you work, the things that you do in God's world in order to be loved, the things that you'll do to secure for yourself any kind of love that your heart longs for. And think about how many lives have been ruined in an attempt to to, uh, secure love. This is actually really personal for me. I have uh, a family member um, who developed an eating disorder simply because of her fear of not being loved. And in her mind, it was like, if I, if I look this way, then I will be loved. If I can attain, if I can work myself uh, in this direction, even if it's actually harmful to me, it will secure a love for me that I so desperately desire. And this is why our anxiety rules us, because deep down, we don't know that we're already loved. Deep down, we don't know that we're already loved. This is one of the most important things that distinguishes Christianity from all other religions. You do not work to get love in Christianity. You are already loved, and it's in that love It's in that embrace that we go out into God's world and we work and we create and we preserve. And that shift makes all the difference in the world. Okay, so Psalm 127, uh, it gives us this God-saturated view of life that tells us to acknowledge that God's at work. It tells us to embrace being loved by him. And lastly, as we conclude here, Psalm 127 tells us that we need to trust that the outcomes of building and protecting are ultimately God's. We need to trust that the outcomes 
of building and protecting our gods. We are called to do what we can, right? It's, it's good that we have vocations. It's part of God's intention from the very beginning. We're called to do what we can. We're, we're called to work because work is a good thing. We're called to preserve and protect what's true and beautiful because it's a good, good thing. We do what we can, but the ultimate outcome, right, the decisive outcome is always God's. It's always God. If God doesn't build, we are wasting our time. If God doesn't watch, we are wasting our time. But what the psalmist is saying is that God does work. He does build and he does watch and the outcome is in his hands. And so because the outcome is in his hands, that means that we aren't wasting our time. We aren't working in vain. You aren't going to school in vain because God has secured for you the outcome. All the effort that you exert in your daily life is not for loss because God loves you and he is working. All the effort that you exert in your daily life is not for loss because God loves you and he is working for you. When you ace a test, when you crush an exam, God loves you and he is working. When you fail a test, God loves you and he is working. When you go to the grocery store, God loves you and he is working. When you sign up for classes you need in order to graduate, God loves you and he is working. When you work through a fractured relationship, God loves you and he is working. When a friendship seems to have been lost forever, God loves you, and he is working. When you're applying for jobs out of college, God loves you, and he is working. When you aren't chosen for your dream job, God loves you, and he is working. When you've done the thing that you swore you would never do, again, God loves you and he is working. What the psalmist is saying here is that no matter what your hand finds to do, God loves you and he is working for you, even as you work. This is what it means to find rest in God, to sleep as his beloved. It's knowing that no matter the outcome of your, of your endeavors, that God ultimately loves you and he is always working for you. So here's the gist of Psalm 127. We build, we create, because that is what image bearers do. And we watch, like God, we watch, we protect, and we preserve, because that's what image bearers of God do. But what makes us different is that as we build and as we watch and as we create and as we embark and as we move along this road, along this journey of the Christian life, we do so restfully. We acknowledge that God is at work. We embrace being loved by him and we trust that the outcomes are secure in God's hands. So uh, to close here, we, we can go to sleep at night knowing that God is at work building. We can go to sleep at night knowing that he is at work watching. We don't go to sleep at night with the weight of the world on our shoulders 
because the weight of the world was placed on Jesus's shoulders. That's the point of the Christian life. The weight of the world was placed on Jesus's shoulders. And now to use the language of Matthew 11, now we can go to Jesus and take on his easy yoke and take on his light burden for rest. We go to Jesus for rest. All right, let's pray. Father, we are grateful um, that even as we show up to another Zoom call and even as we um, drag our free feet through another day full of COVID and isolation and um, all these strange restrictions, we, we give you thanks that you're still at work and that you still love us and that even now our work is not in vain. And Lord, I pray um, for all the students on this call, and I pray even for myself and RUF staff, that all the work that we find to do, all the work that you give us and the vocations that you call us into, would we not do that work um, as if we were eating the bread of anxious toil, but would we do that work out of a disposition of rest? Would we rest in the finished work of Jesus, even as he calls us to work in his world for his purposes? to be a witness of the coming kingdom, even as we wait for the coming kingdom. Lord, we pray that you would make the truths of this psalm more beautiful and more believable than anything that our anxious souls try to put in its place. We pray that the love of Jesus would be near to us now, even as we discuss in the breakout rooms. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.